Welcome to Myra Talks Trash. This podcast is all about trash, waste, food waste. I am Michael Myra and I am passionate about how to avoid, collect and treat trash. I will talk about trash with scientific experts, but also representatives of hotels, restaurants, supermarkets, the food producing industry, of operators of waste treatment plants, but also consultants, lobbyists. In this episode, I'm talking with two researchers about their scientific paper. Impact of plate size on food waste, agent-based stimulation, food consumption. Who am I talking to today? Hi, I'm Nina and I'm a PhD student at Purdue University in the United States. Hi, I'm Bob Aitravendi. I'm a postdoctoral research associate at Northeastern University in physics department at the Center for Complex Network Research. Great. So thank you very much, both of you, for spending the time with me and talking about trash, talking about waste. I, I asked both of you if you would um, like to join me here on that uh, Myra Talks Trash uh, channel because you have written a, a paper together. Uh, can you very quickly uh, tell us what, what about something about the title? What is, what is it all about? So very briefly, this paper was about modeling food consumption behavior in all-you-can-eat facilities, or better known as buffet settings um, facilities. And we modeled the consumption and looked at the plate waste and the waste that was left, that was kind of the food that was served but was never eaten. So we call it surplus waste. Okay, and we, will, we will get into detail about the, uh, the paper in a minute. Uh, but first, uh, could you please tell us a little bit more about both of you? Uh, how did you guys meet? Uh, what, what are you, you, you talked a little bit about where you're working, um, but maybe, could you give, give us a little bit an idea why why you are why are you interested in the topic? Yeah, why how did it come that you you've written that topic uh, that paper together? Okay, so um, I'll go first. So um, I'm from Serbia and I got introduced to food waste in my undergrad studies. So when I came back to Purdue to do my masters, I started working on food waste as well because I was very passionate about that topic. In my masters, um, I was actually collecting the data at the dining hall, that is all you can eat facilities. So I was able to observe how people behave, you know, how much food people eat, how much they waste. And then spontaneously, I got to know Babak and we talked about my research and then he saw an opportunity to model this thing. Um, yeah, Babak. I am from Iran and I moved to States in 2012 and um, I joined Purdue University in 2014 uh, to, to do my PhD in computer and information technology at, uh, at Purdue, Indiana. And I was uh, very lucky to uh, meet uh, Professor Fatma Mili, uh, which uh, she is the chair of my PhD committee 
And I remember I took her course during my tenure at Purdue. The course title was the Internet of Intelligent Things. And during this course, uh, she has started teaching uh, the science of networks and also uh, very uh, stuff related to complex systems theory and uh, what are complex systems. And uh, these, these are basically systems uh, that uh, the sum of the behavior of their parts is a smaller than the behavior of the whole system. For example, looking at um, water molecules per se themselves, they don't have any behavior such as the wave. But then when we put a lot of water molecules and we have a sea or ocean, we get to see waves emerging from the interactions of these molecules. And I got very obsessed with uh, complex system theory and network science. I was just talking about it with everybody. And then it happened that um, I was talking with Nina and then she told me that they actually go to dining halls and um, take pictures from plates, people plates to see how much food they, in, uh, they eat, they intake, and then how much they waste. And um, coming from um, the mindset of complex systems and the emergence um, phenomena, I was, uh, I was just thinking maybe we can simulate this. And um, uh, fortunately, we were able to um, abstract this uh, consumption of food, consumption of food by people in all you can eat facilities, create a, an agent based model where the agents are people who are coming to these facilities to serve food and eat food depending on their level of hunger and uh, appetite and basically leave the facility either feeling hungry full happy or sad depending on you know how much they had to wait or did they get the food they were looking to get and um, fortunately we were able to uh, conduct some simulations and we were able to recreate uh, uh, data very similar to real world to to these field experiments that already exists and uh, then um, we looked at journals uh, just as uh, two students back in the day to see if there are any venues to try to publish this work. And then we found um, the Journal of uh, Resources Conservation and Recycling. We found that they had a special issue uh, related to, uh, I believe it was related to Food. I, I'm not sure what was the special issue name now, but, but then the good thing was it had a deadline and you know, nobody's, nobody's yeah. you know, is um, more busy than graduate students. So we had a deadline, a research question. We had no uh, advice and no professor. So this is, this is very special, I think. Uh, how, how did that come and how did you manage to, to get your paper published without some support 
of a senior scientist. Um, yeah. We started this paper for fun. Mm -hmm. And that's why um, we just wanted to see if we can do it as the students. And it turned out that we can. So, <laughs> but that's basically it. Um, we just didn't feel like bringing anybody. It was our own idea. And, you know, Hmm? What, did, what did the reviewers say? What did they were they surprised or, or was it the was problem, it the problem that, you that you did not have, have a professor? professor? Well, no, uh, there was. It didn't cause us any problem, and that's how it should be. Definitely, definitely, yeah. that's definitely because uh, that's why academia is there to train lifetime learners, and if. If any PhD student out there, you are having some good ideas and you're confident, uh, we completely encourage you to go ahead and try to get the experience and, and it will help you in your career as well. It, it certainly helped me a lot uh, to find my way to Boston, Northeastern University. And uh, um, I was fortunate enough to um, get an interview um, from Professor uh, Laszlo Barabashi to join his, uh, his lab. He's one of the most uh, impactful scientists in 21st century. And I remember during my PhD, I was reading a lot of his papers related to controllability of complex networks. And one question he asked me was, how did this different type of projects, interdisciplinary projects, I have other projects related to grammaticalization. How does grammar emerge in time? Uh, looking from thousands of uh, 1000 years ago up to now. And, and of course, this work, which was already published back in the day. And, um, and I just told him, well, I, we, I just go ahead and talk with others and then ideas come and we start writing manuscripts. And, <laughs> and he right. said, Exactly, and he said that's what we are looking for here as well. Yeah, but as you said, I think this this uh, what you've achieved should or could encourage other PhD students just start. Yeah, go for it, uh, try it, and it's not so hard to put. Uh, well, it's definitely hard to publish a scientific paper, but you can do it. Yeah, we we've three we've three all have shown it. I with the help of my professor, but you did it on your own. Congratulations, what you have done here. But let's uh, now talk a little bit about your paper. I think all of the, the listeners uh, and viewers uh, are interested in what it is all about. And Babak, you have mentioned already two very important things. Let, let's start with the first one. You said, uh, or even Nina, you also mentioned it. You focused on all you can eat catering facilities. Mm -hmm. Why? So, okay, there are two reasons. Um, the more important reason is that all-you-can-eat facilities are very common in the United States, probably more than in Europe, but I mean, I'm not there right now, so I can't really say. Um, all-you-can-eat facilities are uh, usually present in the dining halls. So each university has their own dining hall or dining halls, multiple, and they're usually you know, designed as all-you-can-eat facilities. Uh, you also have lunch cafeterias in a lot of companies. And of course, you have regular restaurants who just, you know, that just, uh, this is how they do business. You know, the thing about these facilities is that you get, I mean, everybody who went to these facilities, they know that there is usually food that is pre-prepared and that is served. So there is abundance of food. 
and you just pay a fixed rate or in dining halls, you just swipe your meal card. How much is it on average from to five to 10 uh, US dollars, 10 to 20 US dollars? How much are we talking about? So I would have to say it depends, uh, which is the favorite answer economists give. Uh, it will definitely depend from state to state because of the standard of living. But let's say probably minimum is maybe $10 and then it goes up. Uh, I think even here in where I live, there is a buffet that is maybe $20, $30 um, per ticket. So, you know, it is in normal human behavior that you want to get value for your money. So if you are giving $10 for a meal, of course, you want to try everything. You know, you start with salad and then finish with dessert. And, you know, sometimes you really want to taste that hamburger, but then you don't like it and then you just waste it, you know. So there is a different behavior that is happening in these settings. And of course, there is a huge monetary value of all the waste, you know, from plates that consumers took, but also there is some surplus because, you know, meals are not necessarily made a la carte. So, you know, there is also going to be a lot of surplus that in some cases it can be frozen and, you know, reused, but in some cases it, can, it can't, like you can't just take a, the entire cheeseburger and freeze it and serve it again, you know, in a week. So yes, there is a lot of waste generated from these facilities and it has a high monetary cost. And, you know, let's not even mention the environmental cost. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the motivation for dining halls. And the second was of course, that I already had experience. So I was already working on these dining halls. So that was kind of a, the advantage of course, modeling something like this. Yeah. And so you said that there is uh, the plate waste and um, the food surplus. Uh, mm. in, your, in your paper, you've also shown that other researchers also said or analyzed that there is the third category, uh, the, uh, the, the preparation waste. And what, what was the reason that you later in, in the paper did not include that in the, in the, in the calculation, in the model? Why mm. did you choose to uh, just, talk, uh, just simulate plate waste and food surplus? I would say that food surplus and consumer plate waste is definitely avoidable type of waste, unless we are talking about, you know, you eat a drumstick and there's a bone that's left. That's of course unavoidable, but um, kitchen preparation waste is usually going to be unavoidable, which includes, you know, skin, bones, um, eggshells, peels, and things like that. And in this sense, in modeling consumer, consumption or consumer behavior. It just wasn't in the scope of the study uh, because it is unavoidable. We wanted to focus on the things that can be avoided and to kind of to try to provide solutions for it. But of course there is, um, our model was built in such a way that there is definitely space for unavoidable ways to be modeled. So, you know, we can always go back and try to model that as well. How far away are we from that stage that all the avoidable waste gets avoided more and more, and we just have unavoidable waste? I think that's a good, but very difficult question. Um, um, you know, kitchen waste is always going to be there, um, but food surplus and plate waste, um, it basically depends on human behavior and human behavior, like human habits are really difficult to change. 
And that's what all these studies that we cited in our paper actually show, you know, um, people are coming up with more and more creative incentives and nudges to try to make people to waste less. But somehow we always find a behavior that wasn't expected at all. So I think definitely moving forward, uh, there is a need to focus on potential ways to reduce this waste, but I don't know if you know zero is ever going to be reached. Um, plate waste and consumption waste is always going to be there, but we can only try to minimize it, you know, to reduce it from what we are wasting right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, just to add to that, um... I think uh, if we try to um, basically utilize uh, machine learning, deep learning models, if we have the data relative to other fields, uh, the food systems, uh, we are seeing a lot of new data sets are emerging. Uh, I actually happen to continue my work in the area of food since I joined Northeastern University here in Boston. And uh, well, our focus is on the food from molecular level, what chemis chemicals are inside food, how can we have food as a medicine, all the way up to the food pr processing. What is the, the impact of processing on the nutritional balance of the food? And um, I can see that a lot of different players, like for example, the EAT forum in Europe, uh, they've been emerging and they're trying to basically both be um, impactful on preparation of new data sets and also on the consumption behavior and, and uh, spreading the knowledge. So if we get good data on the preparation, some of the waste comes from the preparation side is coming from lack of management or good management. So what happens is maybe they put too much of an order and uh, the food is spoils. And uh, so what we can do is we can use machine learning to have predictive models or agent-based models like we developed here to help food industry, to help hospitals, to help uh, universities who are making food in bulk to um, make orders that is aligned with the demand. That's where I can see that our technology can help. Maybe also to, 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 to predict, to make a kind of a forecast that to say, okay, uh, I, I, I know that there are some, some programs, some software solutions that can help restaurants, for example, if they are, uh, I don't know, uh, in, a, in a national park and there will be a weekend with nice weather they can they they help them to organize how much they should cook yeah, to to know okay tomorrow there will be maybe 200 visitors in your restaurant uh, yesterday you just had 20 but tomorrow the weather will be better tomorrow will be a bank holiday whatever whatsoever to help them to predict what will be yeah what you said so just the data will be more and more important but but Baba now uh we want to know more about the agent-based model could you please try to explain to, to, to me as, a, as an almost uh, um, beginner for coding and maybe to also to some of the listeners, uh, to non-experts, what, what uh, agent-based modeling is all about. So 
when we want to uh, model a phenomena, uh, a traditional example, a classic example is uh, the flocking behavior. We see flocking behavior of birds. We can see flocking behavior in a school of fish. And uh, it's, it's very interesting to know that uh, these birds actually, uh, they don't have any leader. There is no leader bird. And we can still see this flocking behavior emerges and they only follow a very few set of rules. It's for the flock of birds, it's been, um, research has been shown that there, there are only three simple rules that each bird needs to follow to have this emergent phenomena of birds flocking together. And um, that's the main idea behind agent-based modeling. Just thinking of a all-you-can-eat facility, where you said they are very independent in their choice. Mm -hmm. are, are, so students, are they really independent? If they maybe a, a group of five uh, friends, yeah, if the first order uh, takes a hamburger, are the others really unbiased? Well, that's pure effect. Yes, exactly. Could, could, you, could you take that into the model as well? Or do you always say, okay, every time the possibility to choose an item is always the same? Or I can definitely see this uh, being modeled um, because we had patrons coming into the facility on every X number of ticks. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, Nina, a tick is a time frame. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Every time frame uh, when patrons got into the facility, we, we could have made a certain correlation between their choices for their most preferred station. So yeah, this could have definitely been modeled. It's not currently in the model, but that's a very good suggestion, Michael. Exactly. So it, it all gets down um, to um, how, how much you need to simplify your model, because there is no model that can reproduce real world completely. But what we can do with a good model is we get the average behavior, statistically speaking. And um, for that reason, so we try to have a model, so we will go over it um, soon, but that is not too much simplified and also not having uh, too much details incorporated. To provide a showcase to the community, to the agricultural economists and et cetera, to see you can use agent-based models in order to um, understand human behavior. You don't not always need to go and conduct uh, experiments, field experiments, expensive and timely field experiments to basically reduce plate size and then see what happens. And then on the other hand, like you said, there are so many social factors, human factors, uh, demographics factors. Um, like for example, do they offer uh, fruits in a separate plate or you need to serve a fruit yourself? So these, these, all these factors can um, impact your results extensively. But then with agent-based models, we can incorporate all of these and that's something it's very tough to do using analytical methods if you want to do something similar with calculus. And then we end up solving uh, very complicated uh, differential equations, which uh, 
not always is possible. But when we have a computational approach, such as agent-based modeling, um, with a good set of assumption and with, with uh, showing that the model is reproducing data that is similar to the real world existing data right now. So it has that reproducibility. Uh, then uh, we can derive good conclusions from it. And for your model, what let's let's try to get a little bit to the nitty gritty now. What what settings? Uh, what what models? And I think you also said you talked about or you wrote about attributes and state vi variables. Mm -hmm. Could you try to to explain a little bit what attributes you have chosen, what state variables you have chosen, and why? Agent-based modeling is consists of a set of agents, and each agent follows uh, a set of rules. So in our simulations, we have two kinds of agents. Uh, one are the stations, and the other are the people, patrons, that are coming to basically take food from the stations and consume it. And um, so uh, what happened was I remember we were so excited about you know, the possibility of doing something, writing a paper on our own and all that. Changing the world, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So we started brainstorming, hey, like, you know, Nina, if we go to a dining hall right now, um, how do we make decision? Like, and then, you know, it's like, depends how hungry you are. And then, you know, and then, okay, if there is an element about hunger, then there is an element about appetite as well. <laughs> and um, we started um, thinking about all these, trying to observe ourselves, imagine ourselves and um, we thought, okay, if um, appetite drives your eating behavior, it must be when you're not super hungry. Because when you're super hungry, then uh, hunger basically overrides appetite. And uh, with that kind of mindset, uh, we started just making these assumptions and then uh, we went to do some literature review. And um, so one option was, first of all, the preference. Everybody has a preference what kind of food they like. So we wanted to consider that. Um, so uh, for, in order to consider that, we had to consider stations uh, offer different types of food. And people have different preferences for the types of food and then also, um, what is the uh, what is the line? How much you have to wait to get your food to serve your food, and also then when you serve your food, then um, uh, how how do you decide to go for your second plate? If you want to have a second plate, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or or even you know if you go on your second or third plate, uh, how do you decide to serve? Like if your plate has four or five places in it, uh, you can serve five items. How do you decide to better serve two items? Because you had, you know, two plates before. <laughs> uh, you're not that hungry anymore. And then, you know, the concepts of hunger and appetite, we were so thinking, okay, um, what is the definition of hunger? What is the definition of appetite? And we were just thinking, okay, if you're very hungry, uh, then, uh, that's your need to eat. That's uh, and then, well, that's probably what drives to eat. 
But then if you're not so hungry, but then you have a very high appetite, then that is what actually driving you. So you can just be, you, you can just have appetite when you are not hungry or am I wrong? Yeah, you know, when you're craving something like, yeah. I really want that food right now. So that's a strong appetite, but not so much hunger. Yeah, and then of course you're also willing to wait longer, right? Well, it depends. <laughs> or then, how how did you did you uh, take that into account, or how how did you program or code your model in that direction? The flow that we agreed on for uh, the agents to follow uh, was. Uh, well, first of all, we use this uh, distribution called Bernoulli. Uh, it's basically uh, you're flipping coin, but it's not an even coin. Okay. okay. So we have these probabilities um, with uneven coins for each of the decisions that uh, people make. So one decision is basically um, taking food, uh, which is coming from uh, uh, basically you have a lot of stations, which one is more assigned uh, or aligned, sorry, with your preferences, what kind of food you like, and then which one has a smaller line. That way, with these factors, we just rank them. Each agent ranks the stations like that. And then after that, uh, with the level of appetite and hunger, so we have an initial value for these so when people are coming uh, from uh, a distribution, a random distribution, we are basically uh, initializing these values. And uh, we have this uh, formula that but they are very simple formula. Uh, most of them are exponential functions. So these exponential functions that we designed as, as a function of appetite and hunger uh, will give us the probabilities to flip the coin. And, and that uh, formulas, did you, did you find them on your own or is there, was there already some research where you could take them from? We made all these formulas on our own, just uh, talking, oh. thinking, yes. And, <laughs> um, and, um, and then we just used um, a software uh, to visualize them just to see how, how the numbers change, how the probabilities change. Software? There is a website called Desmos, D-E-S-M-O-S. It's a very simple um, application. You can put any uh, formula in it and then it plots it for you in X, Y uh, plane. And, uh, and then also it has this uh, very cool features that uh, lets you to have these values increment by time slowly and then you can see the behavior of your function. Um, and uh, we basically found a very meaningful tuning for the initial values. And uh, we did literature review as well. We found out that uh, basically a lot of these ideas that we had about appetite, about hunger. Um, the people have already published papers based on them. So that was very helpful in order to uh, create a narrative of the paper and uh, also to um, justify our decisions. 
that's that's a very important part when you make agent-based models you have to be able to justify your assumptions justify your initial values um, because it's a simulation you're designing a world and then you have to justify this is a good model and through model calibration through showing how much is aligned with real world and um, basically every every item that a person eats it's uh that person's hunger level and appetite level drops of course yeah when they drop so the chances of taking um the second plate and third plate that you know flipping coin that chance is also dropping and and that's how we get a distribution of um, number of plates taken or a distribution of served food it, it is uh, a simplification of what is happening. Uh, and we tried to at least put these parameters, put a decent number of parameters as a minimum, but one can go ahead and add more parameters to this model. Um, we are thinking to actually release the code on GitHub and, or maybe we use Net logo, which is uh, an agent-based modeling SaaS software. It's a product of Northwestern University. It's fairly simple. It's a very descriptive language. It's very similar to human language. It's just basically the agents are called turtles. You can call the turtles to move around, <laughs> to basically interact with each other. It's a um, fairly simple language to learn and to create agent-based models. And um, we use that and we are even thinking to contribute our model to uh, Nets logo. Uh, so then everybody can build on the top of it if they wanna make decisions, if they wanna make uh, some tools to see what is the optimal number of stations in a dining hall in order to keep everybody happy by happy, I mean that when they leave, their hunger level is decreased, <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah, okay. And also have the minimum amount of food surplus, food left in the stations unserved. Yeah, so, but before we talk maybe about the, the objectives here, um, what, what you wanted to find out, you, you said you enter, your agent enters the restaurant and then First, there's the decision what to choose, and then, okay, I want today a hamburger, then I have to analyze how long do I have to wait? Do I want to wait? Yes or no? And you always, or your agent always has the question, yes or no? And always flipping the coin, do you want to go right or left, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, and can you can you just give us a, a ballpark figure? How many... How many rows of code did you have? How many how many loops did you have? Uh, because for me, it's very hard to 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 get an idea how complicated it is to program all these loops yeah, and all these um, complicated formula that you, the Bernoulli formulas that you that you have talked about. Well, before um, you ask, too, if you ask Babak, it's very simple and everybody can do it. What do you what do you but, think? Um, what do you think? You need a good programmer anyway. Um, um, it was a, if I would look at the code, it was a fairly complicated code to me, but. How many rows or, well, I think, of course, this is not, not an, uh, a parameter of if a, if a code is complex or not, but how many rows did it have? The lines of codes, maybe a few hundred, uh, because I mean, NetLogo logo makes it way easier. 
We just need to tell the agents make these decisions, and then we have some variables to capture the state of the dining hall, the state of the stations, and and then all the agents just they follow the same instructions. The instructions are when the agent comes to the dining hall, uh, so they rank the stations based on the how busy is the station, and if it aligns with the final food that they like, and and they wait in the queue for that station. And then for each empty spot on their plate, they decide to take food uh, from the station or not. And these are all, again, uh, flipping coin. And when either the plate is full or they made decision for each of the spots in their plates, they go eat. And then when they eat, um, they adjust their appetite and hunger. Uh, based on each item that they eat and then, again appetite and hunger that they have there is another Bernoulli another decision to make to go for a second plate or not yeah but there is also a very important part mm -hmm. because the paper is about food waste so people are actually I mean agents are making the decision whether to eat or to waste each food item so when they when they're done making decisions about each spot and each station, when they finally go to eat, they make again choice whether to eat or waste. And that's where our objective function is coming from. And then when they make a decision, you know, out of these five items, I'm gonna eat three and waste two, then they're making the second round decision to go for another plate or to leave the dining hall. And, and when you said an item, for example, if you want to have some kind of beef or whatever with, with potatoes and you have take three potatoes, are, do you have then three items or are the potatoes one item? Mm -hmm. Oh, to potatoes together, one, one item. I think this was very abstract in our model. Uh, we didn't necessarily model potatoes, carrots and beef. We modeled the variety. We, I think, had five varieties so you can take it any way you want so it can be you know dessert station hamburger station roasted vegetable station pizza station or salad station for example so people will have different preferences for those five different types of food but anyhow in any dining setting that is going to be different so that's why we on purpose left it very vague yeah and, and nina then to, to come to your result, you always, you, you, in the end, you calculated the, the percentage of, of, of waste that got left, uh, wasted. Yeah? And this is the plates you originally took and the plates and the, the, the items you wasted, or how did you calculate that? They take items based on the preferences, and then they, there is, a, again, a chance that they waste it or eat it. And that's how we can just keep track of the wasted items or eaten items. And then uh, initially, each station has a quota. Yeah, you know, initially we know how each, how much food is in each station, and um, basically because of the quota, we can we can know what is the surplus in the end. Of course, the, the main focus of the of the paper was about food waste, but you you also analyzed, I think, besides the the the, the person that or the yeah the percentage of waste that was put on the plate or the waste of what uh, the, the food that was produced how much landed in the waste you also uh, analyzed um, 
the uh, two more scenarios. I think uh, the quality of the service are uh, people going to the restaurant satisfied afterwards. Um, also, the, the waiting time. Um, mm -hmm. Can you can you explain a little bit how you you calculated that? How did you calculate uh, the the feeling of the customer afterwards, the happiness, their happiness factor? The simplest option would be like consider that you have uh, a flow of customers coming, let's say 10 customers in a minute, but then you have only one station. So then everybody has to wait and it's, you know, a lot of people, when they wait, their appetite drops. That's what happens in our model. And then um, after a while, when appetite drops too much, they leave hungry. And you know, that is unsatisfied hunger. Yeah, that's exactly unsatisfied hunger. That's what we called it. <laughs> yeah, they, they left without eating. So that's unsatisfied hunger. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Coming to the to the main results now, you had two scenarios, the moderate uh, traffic scenario and high traffic scenario. But let's focus on the moderate traffic scenarios as they are both more or less equal. You said that uh, if you reduce the plate size, which was in your title, how does the reduction of the plate size influence the amount of food waste? If you reduce the plate size, uh, the, the plate waste goes down by 30%, which is impressive. And which is, of course, what everyone, uh, I think every reader expects. On the other hand, the food surplus goes up. Uh, can you, and any total, the waste is even bigger than if you have uh, compared to to bigger plates. Can you explain how that could happen? Or, or um, because this is, of course, what everyone is, is surprised to read. Yeah, of course, if you reduce the plate uh, size, you have less waste. This is what I would, was expecting. But in total, you have more waste. What, what, can, you, what can you tell us here? What, how could that happen? Babak, do you want to go or? No, no you go ahead, mm -hmm. please. So basically, um, we modeled moderate and high traffic scenario. So within one of the scenarios, so moderate, we were switching small or large plate. But there were certain variables to model the moderate traffic scenario. So it would assume the same demand planning. So let's say equal amount of food is prepared for both small and large plate. So if you prepare the same amount of food, if you use the small plate, you're going to generate more waste from the food surplus. But if you, you know, use that same demand and have a large plate, then you're having more food waste from the plates, so more plate waste. So in that sense, this is just showing the need to, you know, to adjust the demand depending on the plates you are going to use in a dining setting. So it's just showing the importance of you know, how the system changes, not only from the consumer side, but also, you know, within as well. So yeah, that would be the main um, outcome, basically. If you're changing plates, then also needs to be adjustment in the demand as well. Yeah, and, and could you, could you, I think you mentioned that you haven't done a field experiment, yeah? Um, can, could you explain why, why you haven't done that to compare it, maybe to calibrate it? To calibrate the model? Yeah, to, 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 well, I don't know if, you, if it's the right term to say to calibrate it, but to, to have your agent-based model results on one hand and maybe uh, that the field tests results of your uh, uh, university or the can eat restaurant and then uh, see if they match, if they lead to the, 
to the same results. Uh, we did find the confirmation of our results in the previous literature. Uh, the percentages that we have found were kind of close and within the range of the previous studies that have done field experiments. So in that sense, um, you know, our results are in some sense aligned with what was found before. Did you go to do your all you can eat uh, restaurant and did, did some did you did you give them some such suggestions did you test it then and say okay let's uh, we have found that out that uh, yeah you can reduce the plate size but they will have a lot of sur surplus uh, at the beginning uh, so let's see if that's really would really happen in, in reality and the more important question how they can uh, reduce the surplus because. The, the plate waste, I think you cannot influence so much because this is uh, belongs to your consumer. But you as a, uh, a chef can influence how much surplus you have yeah, if you adjust. So uh, did you talk to any chefs, uh, uh, tell them your results? Because I think it's also part of, 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 of scientists that, of course, this is very, very interesting and very important what you find out. But I think it's also our... Um, our job to, to talk to people and tell them our results because I think there are a lot of, out there that are interested in what, what you found out. Huh? Well, yes, I agree. Um, we did not talk to anybody uh, from the dining centers about our results. Uh, dining centers have their own employees who do all this work to maximize the nutrition and you know diversify diet for students. And in that sense, it wasn't really in the scope of our work, um, but it remains for future for future work. Um, we are researchers. We kind of um, did our part. Now it's on the people who are implementing this to kind of take over. Do you think of, of any incentives that could also lower the, the plate waste besides uh, changing the plate diameter? Uh, Nina, I think you have written another scientific paper uh, on that topic. Could you tell us a little bit, some maybe some sentences about your other paper with the financial incentives? Yes. So it was a, an experiment here at Purdue. We did it in the dining hall during my master's with my previous advisor. And uh, we basically went into the dining hall. It was a randomized controlled trial, which means that, you know, whatever you find in the treatment group can be, you know, seen as causality of your intervention. So what we did, we offered the treatment group $2 per day to kind of be more conscious about what they eat and like what they take on their plate. We asked them that they will receive $2 if whatever they take on their plate, they also eat it. So they don't waste anything. And we actually found that, you know, this financial incentive was, um, effective at reducing the plate, uh, the plate waste. Uh, unfortunately, we did not see any significant decrease in the amount of food that these students took on their plate. So an interesting finding is that, you know, these they students really cleaned their plates, but, you know, they didn't really change the amount that they were eating. So kind of going back to, you know, working, um, Conducting studies where subjects are human, you know, it is behavior and you always find something that you don't expect. And definitely that study, you know, showed us something that we didn't expect to find. But yeah. very interesting finding, you know, at this point, um, 
you know, we have to be more cautious about the nudges and incentives that we are giving to people not to waste food. We need to consider that, you know, it should go through the mechanism of reducing the amount of food you take on your plate. Great. So maybe last question, uh, Babak, let's start with you. What what influence or did the the, the paper have on, on, on your kind of eating, on, on your kind of uh, going into restaurants? Uh, how did it influence you? Yeah, sure. Um, just uh, before answering that question, um, on the topic of food surplus, uh, initially when we wrote this paper, we we kind of didn't know that uh, how important is food surplus. We actually got a comment from a reviewer that uh, said, uh, I believe the authors haven't realized their finding. Yeah. <laughs> a huge compliment, yeah. Yes, we are very grateful to the reviewers of the journal um, and they um, provided understanding feedback and uh, through multiple revisions, and they helped us a lot to have the right narrative, to develop the narrative of the paper. Right. Especially, I think they realized there is no professor on the paper, so they were more uh, they were more patient with us, maybe. <laughs> uh, but um, we realized in our lit review that there are a lot of studies um, that says mm, decrease in plate size. Uh, decreases food waste. And there are also other studies, fairly same amount of event studies, that says decrease in plate size or removal of the trays, it can even increase food waste or it can decrease the nutritional intake. Okay. Why? So, because, because people then just take one, one dish or... It could be reason, for example, they make a tower of the food, like, you know, at the top, you know, or, or they can be like one of the studies was interesting to me most was so, okay, um, they removed tray, but they were offering fruits in separate bowls. So then people have only two hands and that is discouraging for students who are busy to go wait in the line, go back to the station, you know, multiple times to, you know, get fruit and that of course that might decreases the nutritional intake because fruits has very important nutrients and here it comes the our work that is basically saying okay let's kind let's go see what is the demographics let's go see how is the whole um uh, facility operating and then consider all that in our simulation in our model and then we can go ahead and tell you what coda is good for each station for this flow of people coming to your facility uh, in order to decrease uh, this food surplus. Okay. Um, I can see that this can be very useful from that point of view, from managemental point of view. Uh, another study would be interesting to continue is what is the impact of the variety of food right now uh, offering um, three, four, five or and six uh, variety of food, I guess uh, I have to double check, but then it's a, it's a finite number. Um, so if we have a study on that and if, if there's so many different kinds of foods available, how does that impact the waste? 
personally, getting back to your question, how did that impact my waist? Uh, you as a person, yes, yeah. I personally turned out to become very conscious about recycling. And of course, uh, when I buy fruits and stuff, I'm very conscious right now that nothing goes bad in my fridge <laughs> as much as possible. And, um, and of course, cooking more at home, it's very important. Um, maybe the pandemic gives us the chance to learn how to cook and uh, get a balanced nutrition instead of processed food, which can cause a lot of metabolomic diseases. That's, that's the focus of my research right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, it, was, it was very impactful, both in terms of recycling and waste. And well, it was kind of tough, I have to say, to recycle back in Indiana. As a, as a person who lived there, I would say um, there were not so many uh, stations available to do recycling. And what, what, what types of waste, uh, so yeah, general waste, plastic, paper, and so on, gets recycled, uh, gets collected separately? Do you mean food waste or just... No, 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 no. not just like... food waste, but what other waste streams uh, mm-hmm. could, uh, could you... Uh, collect separately or is that just general waste and maybe general no. waste and food waste it's not like in europe i know what you're thinking michael yeah. um here it is just mixed recyclables so mm-hmm. you have trash and then mixed recyclables um so we don't really store to them here okay yeah. but i know in in europe that's like a big thing and i wish it was the same here yeah. as well I remember when there was a facility in Indiana that they had like a lot of different kinds, like you could even recycle oil, cooking oil or you know, aluminum, but they closed the facility. <laughs> and, uh, but then, you know, I've been fortunate to move to Boston, Massachusetts. Here it's totally different. Uh, anywhere you go, you have, I mean, at, at my home right now, I do have a specific garbage for a, a specific um, placeholders for recycling, but it's still, it's not separating, for example, glass from plastic. Okay. But this, if I go to grocery stores, most of them has different baskets uh, to separate. It's, it's a big deal here. Even, even you know, in terms of electricity, I recently got a letter that, hey, there is this new company, you can you know, change their producing electricity from renewable energy. And that was very surprising for me because usually wherever I lived, you had only one option to get electricity. <laughs> okay. um, so yeah, there is a lot of room there. Okay. And, and Nina, what, what, uh, what, what learnings or if there were any, what, 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 how did it change your life? Uh, and one, one specific question, if you would buy, would have to buy new plates would you now choose smaller or larger plates for, for your flat, for your home? So, um, I mean, I come from Serbia and honestly, in my household, uh, food waste was really never a thing. Um, we were very conscious about our consumption and you know usage of all kinds of things. So, but I got introduced into this topic you know, in my undergrad and then further in my master's. I don't know, I just, uh, I'm very cautious about the amount of waste I generate, you know, whether it's, you know, food or 
you know, different products such as clothes, you know, I'm very conscious to buy sustainable whenever I can, you know, if it's really sustainable, but um, yeah, yeah, I think, I don't know, I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I lost the thought, Michael. No, but so um, how, the, how it influenced you, if you, when you say, okay, you always uh, were very conscious about food waste, about trying to avoid food waste, Maybe it, it didn't influence you at all, yeah. But even yeah, I think I just became so you know it influenced me in that way to become aware of it, to recognize it as a problem, because where I'm coming from, at least in my household, you know, in my um, in my little bubble, that was never a problem. So I got introduced to it, and then I was shocked by the staggering numbers of waste that's generated. And I think it's in general, it's a problem. I mean, there is food waste in developing countries as well, but not at that level as in developed countries. You know, um, freedom of choice is a problem of developed countries. And that's why we are getting so much waste. Mm. Um, One issue I would say, at least for me, I mean, I don't really eat a lot, but in the United States, portion sizes are really big. I would probably prefer to see a menu with small portion and large portion so that you know you as a consumer can have a choice you yeah. know because whenever i take a regular portion because there are no other options i eat a half and then you know i have to take the other half home but you know then that generates more waste in form of like styrofoam or whatever you know packaging yeah. you're getting so i mean it's a loop and i mean there there is a need for systemic change but again you know people want to get the value for their money so i understand that portion sizes are big but it's my problem that i can eat that much so yeah okay but i think this was a very very good closing statement so thank you very much both of you uh, it was a very very interesting talk thank you sure thank you for having us